stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. Welcome back to Administrative Static. Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchioni here, and, and we have invited a Clegg Ivy, uh, our colleague here, who is the Director of Engagement at NCLA, back uh, to the program to update us on the progress of the King George III Prize for the Worst Violator of Civil Liberties. Welcome back to Administrative Static, Clegg. Oh, it's great to be here, Mark. Great to be here. And the King George III uh, Prize, the tournament, our March Madness style. Uh, the Madness of King George. <laughs> the Madness of King George, indeed. Uh, we're moving into the second round, uh, and I think you, you really got to get to the website and, and check it out. Uh, over a thousand votes have been cast for various candidates, various nominees, engagement like on our we're posting on social media and we're hitting two to five times the normal amount of interest. I think partially because we're using memes um, to uh, to sort of poke fun at these folks and also partially because people are really interested to. Uh, to make sure that their favorite abuser of civil liberties or least favorite, if, if you want to think of it that yeah. way, survives uh, and advances. Indeed. Indeed. So, so the field has been cropped from 32 to 16. Is that, is that, am, am I right in that, terms of the timing here? That's correct. That's correct. This is the sour 16 that we are now going with. Uh, and no surprises, Anthony Fauci and Rochelle Walensky are still alive and well, they dominated the competition um, other folks that we we fully expected to advance, Department of Justice, Merrick Garland, uh, a very strong contender. Uh, and I well, think let me ask you this. Is there anybody who dropped out after the the round of 32 that you were surprised? Somebody that you thought might last a little longer? Well, I think maybe this was a seating issue. But, you know, last year in last year's contest, the National Labor Relations Board did very well and they got eliminated in the first round uh, this year. Uh partially as a result of going up against uh, Walensky and the CDC. That's a, that is a tough first round matchup. That was a bad draw for them. And, uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, we hope not to see them in the tournament of the future, honestly, but uh, something tells me we might. Yeah. They're, uh, they're, they're, they're going to be a blue blood. I'm afraid when it comes to uh, to tournament participation over at the NLRB. I think we also expected uh, either the president of GMU, uh, George Washington, uh, or the uh, the president Greg, Gregory Washington. Uh, I'm sorry, Greg George Washington. Greg, <laughs> Gregory Washington. That's right. Uh, or the MSU president uh, Samuel L. Stanley. We expected one of those presidents to uh, advance, and both were eliminated um, in 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 Stanley's case by uh, Xavier Becerra, Secretary of uh, Health and Human Services, um, and in Washington's case by Scott Brabrand, uh, the superintendent for the Fairfax County Public Schools. Oh, that was a that was a Virginia on Virginia like uh, local matchup there, huh? <laughs> I, Yes, and I think there are just more parents uh, upset about what's happening in Fairfax County Public Schools than there are uh, parents and staff uh, over there at uh, you know at GMU. And yeah. I think that was a that we, we Ray saw, Brand may be a good dark horse candidate here to uh, to sort of uh, advance beyond his seat, if you will. Well, here's the thing: Bray Brand is going to go up against Merrick Garland, and you would think that a Fairfax County uh, Public School superintendent would have no chance against the AG. But I, I think this is a dark horse candidate. Now, what's going to happen when Brabrand goes up against Fauci in the next round? Mm, yeah, that's, that's a, a he does not have a good path to the final four. That is a buzzsaw matchup, Mark. <laughs> uh, 
uh, interesting things folks have got to go you got to go to our website check out our social media and what is that it's yeah it's it's nclalegal.org slash king uh, hyphen george hyphen iii but you know what i sometimes do I just Google NCLA King George, and we are the first result that comes up. Oh, good. Okay. Yes. So that's easy. <laughs> that's right. Uh, thank, thank you, Google. Thank you, Google. Right. Um, and and I'm just going to tease some things. I'm not going to say who advanced to the second round, but we had a battle of the governors. It was Phil Murphy and Daniel McKee, and that was a lot closer. Ooh, New Jersey versus Rhode Island. That's right. A lot closer than you might think. Okay. A lot closer than you might think. Uh, another Potential so, upset. so people have to go to the website to find out who who advanced between those two. You have to go to the website to find right. out. It'll you'll see our bracket. You'll see them advance. Sorry, um, folks. I, we don't like to tease you like this, but uh, this is the way Clegg <laughs> rolls. Apparently, I uh, yeah, I'm 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 impish. Um, uh, and and uh, you know sometimes the tournament shows us a, a, a you know a, a team or nominee that has really no business in any other year. Uh, uh, but they're scrappy. On. They're scrappy. And this year that nominee is. Is uh it, it is the uh, occupational uh you know uh safety and health administration and health or administrator yeah administrator it's it's OSHA and uh, I gotta tell you OSHA had a bad draw OSHA went up against Charles Reddick the director of the IRS Ooh, so OSHA is more hated than the IRS well I guess this isn't most hated OSHA violated more civil liberties than the than the, the IRS. IRS that is that is quite a damning uh, thing to say about an agency. So the NCLA is is fighting against the IRS because they are trying to violate the 4th amendment uh rights of uh of, of crypto cryptocurrency holders. Uh, cryptocurrency yeah. holders. Uh you know but just and we've seen this. We saw this in Canada too. This kind of financial um uh sort of blackmail by the government. Yeah, cutting people off financially if you e can. Exactly. And the first step of that is to figure out who has accounts where, who had who holds crypto at which uh, in, in, you know, uh, which sort of accounts, uh, and, and then you can put pressure on those, those accounts on the, on the crypto wallets, yeah. et cetera, on the brokers, on the brokers. Exactly. Or brokerages, maybe it's the better word. Yeah. It's still kind of a new, yeah. But, and most people are kind of familiar with the fact that you have crypto and it's, it's decentralized, but there is some entity that you've got your crypto through and that's where the government can really, you know, press the advantage, but they're got eliminated in the round of 32. It's, uh, I it's, it's OSHA, OSHA is the one. I was shocked. I was many, shocked, uh, but OSHA too many jabs versus jobs problems for OSHA. Yeah, yeah. OSHA is and uh, any other year, no chance, no chance. But this year, uh, OSHA advances, and uh, that that's a pretty interesting uh, situation. We we had several um, uh, people ask in their votes about uh, the new Supreme Court uh, nominee, Justice nominee Ketanji Brown Jackson, and whether. Um, that Not to be confused with Jackson Brown. Well, you know, I, I find that Jackson Brown is a lot more comfortable, a kind of a mellow approach. I'd much rather have Jackson Brown probably on the Supreme Court, honestly, <laughs> uh, although possibly similar political stripes. Who knows? <laughs> but people are wondering, uh, you know, what this, uh, you know, what this nominee from the D.C. Circuit, you know, how, uh, you know, how she is going to vote on things like Chevron deference, our deference, the judicial deference doctrines. I don't think we can expect anything good coming out of the DC circuit in general, right? Well, I, uh, it, it's been a while since we've had something good come out of the of DC circuit. I mean, Clarence Thomas, I suppose uh, he came out of the DC circuit, so it's always possible, but uh, I won't hold my breath. Uh, so what about, uh, uh, what about any other, uh, sort of matchup, juicy matchups in this next round as we cut from 16 uh, to eight? And is that, do people have essentially 
when do they have to get their votes in for the 16 to 8 matchup? Is it by this coming Thursday? Or? That's right. That, well, Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. go to the website by Wednesday if you want to have a voice in cutting from 16 to 8 in the next round uh, of the uh, King George III uh, tournament. But are there any matchups in particular we haven't talked about yet that uh, uh, that are uh, jumping out at you? I think so. So, you know, I think uh, it's, it's probably the case uh, that a really interesting matchup, and again, I'm not going to say which governor, but obviously one of these governors moved on and they that governor is going to face off against Chiquita Brooks Lashure, the administrator for CMS. And, and, and you know, that was one of that's one of the many vax mandate vaccine mandates that uh, NCLA has been fighting. And that is the CMS mandate is one that did survive uh, review by the Supreme Court. Um, and I think if we'd asked Professor Philip Hamburger, he would say that perhaps the court uh, should have taken uh, another look uh, at uh, unconstitutional conditions on spending. Um, but. Uh, in the next round, that governor that survived the uh, uh, is, is going to have to uh, is going to have to face off against uh, Chiquita Brooks Lashore. Um, I think another um, interesting uh, mandate case is CPSC. Alexander uh, Hone Sarek, the chairman of the CPSC, is going to have to face off against the Safer Federal Workforce Task Force. Now, I think the CPSC which beat Pete Buttigieg in the first round. That, that was an upset to me. I thought uh, I thought Mayor Pete. Uh, roundly deserved uh, advancing uh, into the into the next round with all the civil liberties he's taken away in the administrative adjudication process at the Department of Transportation, uh, which we are suing over. But this just goes to show, folks, that your votes matter. So, you know, this is That's not right. uh, this is not uh, completely foreordained. I think several people thought Pete Buttigieg was taking the tournament off. Uh, and so, you know, maybe they just, maybe they just thought right, he, was, right. he, he didn't, was taking a break. He didn't, he didn't put in a full year. So right. maybe he didn't deserve, uh, you know, uh, advancement. Yeah. But that does mean that, uh, that, that, uh, federal contractor, uh, mandate issue is sort of up against, I think what is a less, uh, you know, uh, a less visible, uh, CPSC issue. So it's possible that, uh, that the VAC, that VAX mandate, uh, problem is gonna, is gonna work its way into the, uh, into the, uh, you know, sort of, uh, uh, the the next round. Yeah, it may affect more people than uh, than the laws behind paywalls issue that CPSC uh, has going on. One, uh, I wanted to ask you about a trade though, because you know we don't see this uh, uh, really in in the in the college ranks, but but we had a trade happen the, uh, this past year where Rohit Chopra moved from uh, the FTC, where he was a walking disaster, uh, to the uh, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, where I assume he's still a walking disaster. So. Uh, you know, how is that? How is that fair? How did the how did the uh, FTC do without him where he left a bunch of zombie votes behind for them to continue casting for him, even though he left the agency? Uh, and now, you know, he, how is his new agency uh, faring? Well, it's a disaster on both fronts, Mark. Uh, uh, Rohit Chopra advanced uh, over the president of JMU. Uh, and so now Rohit Chopra at CFPB is going on to the next round. But and again, I I don't want to I don't want to give too much away. But one of the big uh, battles of the first round was Lena Khan, uh, who's at the FTC, oh, uh, you know, against Muriel Bowser, the mayor of D.C. Ooh, that, that, is that one people are going to have to go to the website to check out? That is one people are going to have to go to the website to check out. And again, in any other year, Lena Khan is not going to be, it's not going to have a chance against uh, Muriel Bowser. But this year, Khan! Khan! It's in part because Chopra left behind those, those, uh, those votes. Lena Khan has been able to really consolidate power. She rescinded the consumer welfare standard at the FTC. That's, I mean, you know, I was a, I was an IP antitrust lawyer 
uh, as, as early as the 1990s. And that was already old and dusty. By yeah, then. That, yeah. Well-established doctrine. Yeah. yeah. She's uh, she definitely has an, an aggressive uh, agenda. She may be a, a repeat player in next year's uh, tournament uh, tournament as well. Uh, but uh, but thanks. Uh, thanks, Clegg, for, for joining us uh, uh, again, folks. NCLA legal dot org. Slash King hyphen George hyphen I I I to uh, to cash your votes. Look for us on social media on Twitter. Uh, We're looking for cash your votes. We look forward to getting updates from you down the road, Clay. Thanks for being with us. Welcome back, everyone. Um, I have uh, a, an interesting fight going on. It's not it's not a bracket, but it is an interesting fight. We had um, filed an amicus brief in the case United States of America versus Lanier Moses uh, in in the Fourth Circuit, and <clears throat> this had to go to stints. This this issue was Stinson deference, and uh, there the problem was there were two cases. There was the Campbell case that came out uh, two weeks, a little less than two weeks before the Moses case. And there was the Moses case. And they differed on the deference question, which I'll get to in a minute what that difference is. But uh, so that was appealed to the Fourth Circuit, which uh, is here in Virginia um, and uh, Maryland and places like that and North Carolina. But in any event, um, we put in an amicus brief saying, hey. You guys got to rehear, rehear this on bonk, meaning every, all the active judges have to look at this because you, these, these cases disagree and you're the Fourth Circuit and your panels have disagreed. So you got to solve this problem. It, it seems pretty straightforward to me. Um, and it did at the time. But a majority of the Fourth Circuit. And, and NCLA filed a, an amicus brief to that effect, encouraging the court to take the case on bonk. So, uh, well, that 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 amic that that rehearing petition was denied last week, and but it was denied in an interesting way, uh, with a with a vicious fight over administrative laws. How it was <laughs> decided? Um, at, for for judicial uh, dissents, this one's pretty pointed. So what happened? Yeah, was, shots uh, fired. Shots fired. I'm going to read the order. Uh, who was where? Just in case anyone's interested. Uh, here's what the court said: Chief Judge Gregory. Judge Motz, Judge King, Judge Wynn, and Judge Thacker voted to grant rehearing in bank, right? So you've got uh, one, two, three, four, five, um, four rehearing in bank. And then you've got Judge Wilkinson, Judge Nehemiah, Judge Agee, Judge Diaz, Judge Harris, Judge Richardson, Judge Quattlebaum, Judge Rushing, and Judge Haytons voted to deny. So you've got nine votes to deny. So Judge Nehemiah, who, by the way... <laughs> was on the Moses panel who who has the opinion that they're not going to overturn wrote an opinion supporting the denial of rehearing on bonk and has a vested interest in other words huh? a little bit and judge Mott's wrote an opinion dissenting from the denial of rehearing on bonk and and uh King Wynn and Thacker joined in I don't know why the chief judge did not join in but he but did not um and so what was going on here 
And so here's what Nehemiah says. He says, at the root of this case lies the question of whether the Supreme Court's decision in Kaiser v. Wilkie, just mentioning the name of that case tells you why we were involved, overruled its earlier decision in Stinson versus the United States for determining the enforceability of a weight to be given to the official commentary of the sentencing guidelines. Stinson held the guidelines commentary, even when the related guideline is unambiguous, is authoritative and binding on courts unless the commentary is inconsistent with the law or the guideline itself. Meaning that an, un, an, an unambiguous guideline um, cannot, it, it is, is overridden by commentary. Uh, so it, it creates a huge, a huge problem. So thus, um, Kaiser, on the other hand, limited controlling deference to an executive agency's reasonable interpretation of its own regulations to where the regulation is genuinely ambiguous. And then we always, Kaiser went through a long thing telling you why things aren't usually ambiguous. Um, thus, under Stinson, guidelines commentary would be authoritative and binding regardless of whether the guideline to which it is attached is ambiguous. Whereas under Kaiser, guidelines commentary would receive such deference only if the guidelines were, quote, genuinely ambiguous. The distinction is meaningful to federal courts. You bet it is. I, I second that. Continuing reliance on guidelines commentary when sentencing criminal defendants. So the, the defendant is not even allowed. He doesn't even get the guidelines, which have problems of their own, but he doesn't even get the guidelines. He gets the commentary. And that's going to be how long he's going to be put away. It's outrageous. But anyway, um, so they. this is what Nehemiah says. The panel concluded that until the Supreme Court expresses its view on the point, we should not hold the court has overruled one of its earlier opinions, recognizing the court's instruction that, quote, it is this court's prerogative alone to overrule one of its precedents. Right. Well, and, and let's and let's clarify there for the for the non-lawyers, John, that the, the issue here is that you, as you said, there were two decisions that came down in January, days apart, and under under the the rules of most circuits, including the Fourth Circuit, an earlier panel decision binds a later panel decision. And what the judges here are saying, including some judges who are on that earlier panel decision, hey, you judges on the later panel decision, you didn't follow what we did, and yeah. that's what that's where all this acrimony is is coming from. And that's from. where it's coming now. It does appear so. Everybody seems to agree that Campbell is controlling authority because it came earlier. So Campbell's the other case. And I so Nehemiah seems to agree that Campbell is the the ruling, but he says that there's tension between them, but they're not really different. They, yeah, they don't distinguished really it in a way that uh <laughs> yeah. I, I wrote it. Up. I know what it means. Just me. Yeah, I'm the only one right. who knows what it means. Uh anyway, so then uh so, uh, Judge well, Mott, don't you think some of some of what's underlying this, and it's it's hard to tell. I don't know all of these all of these judges, but uh, but typically, if uh, I, I mean, Mr. Moses uh, is uh, is not somebody who is a, a model citizen, let's say, and and it seems like th that in these criminal sentencing cases, some of what you get is the judges are somewhat reluctant to uh, to strike down the sentencing guidelines commentary when it would be to the benefit of someone who. Maybe really is a career criminal. Yeah, and and uh, I there might be, but he, the, the, uh, Judge Motz, she uh, she did take a uh, she did take a shot at all the quiet people not telling us why they did something. 
A majority of this court's 14 active judges voted to summarily deny without opinion to rehear this matter in Bonk. The one opinion expressing the reasons of a single judge for denying on Bonk rehearing and the two opinions expressing the reasons of four judges to grant on Bonk review represent only the views of those judges. In short, nine of the 14 voting judges offer no opinion regarding why they voted to deny or grant rehearing on Bonk. So she's a little, that sounds miffed to me. That does sound miffed. Uh, and so she just she just, she respectfully dissents from the denial because as she, as Judge King, who who dissented in, in Moses, correctly noted in his dissent from the panel opinion, a central holding in this case that Kaiser B. Wilkie does not apply to the sentencing guidelines commentary directly conflicts with an earlier panel opinion of the court, Campbell. I continue to believe that Campbell was correctly decided, but merits aside. Resolving intracircuit conflicts is quintessentially a proper basis for en banc rehearing. She cites the rule. I fear the court's failure to resolve this conflict now risks stoking confusion over the state of our president. Boy, howdy, does it? Listen, if you've ever represented a criminal uh, accused, never mind a criminal convicted, you are looking for every advantage to keep the guy out of the crossbar hotel for as much as long as you can. So what are you going to do? You're going to take these two cases. You're going to decide which one of them is good for your client. And then you're going to go to the poor uh, downtrodden district court judge and say, hey, I, we fall within we fall within Moses or we fall within Campbell. And what's he, what is the downtrodden district court judge going to do? They're going to side with either the majority. They're going to side with Nehemiah. Or they're going to side with Mats. And then right. they're going to take a panel majority. Chances. I've got yeah. a panel majority they, either way. Yeah. And then they're going to take the, exactly. And then they're going to then they're going to take their chances on an on bonk, which, of course, means that somebody is going to be um, and God forbid they're incarcerated during the, the pendency of the appeal. Right. You're going to be incarcerated for all that time, not knowing. And then if they decide that one or the other of these interpretations succeeded, then you might have been out of jail earlier. You're not going to get that time back. I mean, this is something they should address. But no, well. Let, let me stand up for the Fourth Circuit for just a second, play devil's advocate. <clears throat> Only in the following sense. John, how many how many cert petitions have we supported at the U.S. Supreme Court on this same issue in the last year? I mean, I think we've supported about four of them, and I think that there have been something like nine or ten that have been presented to the U.S. Supreme Court on this same issue, and they're refusing to hear it. So I guess I we can't be too surprised that, that, that an en banc at the Fourth Circuit also doesn't want uh, to decide uh, the issue, but it's not just the intra-circuit split. There's also an inter-circuit split on this issue, as the court recognizes in these opinions. It notes that the Fourth Circuit's decision is now contrary to the decisions of the en banc Third Circuit and the en banc Sixth Circuit. Well, guess what? That's another reason why we, uh, the court should go en banc. So I guess I'm not. Uh, I guess I'm not doing a very good job defending the Fourth Circuit here. <laughs> to start the majority opinion in Moses, decided January 19th. 2022, flatly contradicts our earlier circuit precedent in Campbell, decided January 7th, 2022. In Campbell, the three-judge panel consisting of Chief Judge Gregory, Judge Motz, and Judge Thacker, hmm, doesn't that sound familiar, <laughs> unanimously held that the framework articulated in Kaiser v. Wilkie applies to the Sentencing Commission's commentary to the sentencing guidelines. A mere 12 days later, the two-judge majority in Moses, consisting of Judge Nehemiah and District Judge Cullen, sitting by designation, i.e. someone who doesn't get a vote on the en banc. Right. Issued an opinion stating that Kaiser framework was inapplicable to the guidelines commentary. That is undeniable, an irreconcilable conflict. 
But despite that clear contradiction with Campbell, the Moses majority over the protestations of Judge King in dissent, and I will do an aside, and now a real dissent by me, Judge Motz, did not even <laughs> gain to mention Campbell, much less distinguish it, because it couldn't in in parentheses. I mean, holy mackerel, that's real, <laughs> that's real judge whacking uh, each other. Um, so uh yeah, that's, here, that's what you might call an acid tongue. If it oh, weren't, and uh, if that well-settled rule can be so casually and apparently knowingly ignored, then what's to stop future panels from doing precisely the same, especially when the full court is evidently unwilling to correct such an overreach? And I think what Judge Motz is alluding here is spreading Ninth Circuitism, right? What does the Ninth Circuit right. do? If you, they don't, they're on bonks, aren't all the judges because it's just too big. So many times in the Ninth Circuit, the practitioners there believe, and I think they're right, that that the judges who didn't sit on bonk don't feel bound by that opinion. And it's just, it causes confusion. It's one of the things that's strange about the Ninth. So anyway, I hope the fourth doesn't let this go too long because it's going to cause a ruckus. I think you've, I think you've coined a phrase, John, Ninth Circuitism. See you guys next week. 